0: Welcome to Craftlit, the podcast for crafters who like books. My name is Heather Wardover, and I'm podcasting from my corner of the Sonoran Desert, the Old Pueblo, Tucson, Arizona. Episode 71, Sick, Sick, Sick. This episode of Craftlet is sponsored by Knitting Out Loud, books to knit to. Well hi there. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell from my voice that I am sick, but I am sick, and it came upon me like a ton of bricks hitting my head yesterday. I was finishing up my work, I was minding my own business, all of a sudden, literally, I swallowed. <laughs> and I realized that that was a huge mistake. It It was the difference between having swallowed 15 seconds earlier and being fine and 15 seconds later and knowing that I was doomed. And of course this is the Yom Kippur holiday and I sing in the choir and last night I did go to the Kol Nidra service and I did sing mostly the notes that I could hit and I didn't stay for the second service. I came home with my husband and son and uh, drank hot toddies and and uh, a lot of soup. and now I'm just hoping that this all ends very soon, because I hate being sick. And it's my own fault, because not even four days ago I was driving, oh, one of the kids somewhere, and I thought to myself, "Oh, I haven't been sick in a really long time. <laughs> and then the universe whacked me on the head. You may have noticed that we started this episode with a series sponsor. Our first, and I'm very excited because I was actually able to interview Kathy Goldner of knitting out loud. And instead of me wasting time explaining what that means to you, I will leave you with our interview. So I don't know if everybody who's who listens to Craftlit had gotten to see the the press release that came across, but um, my understanding was that you are now in charge of releasing audiobooks that are recordings of books. Specifically for craftspeople, and even more specifically for knitting, is that right? Well, I, I
1: started my own company in March called Knitting Out Loud, and um, with the idea of specifically recording, you know, books on knitting, essays, and histories, and ethnic uh, studies, and that sort of thing. And Interweave approached me; uh, they knew about me because I um, called them for the audio rights to one of their books. And they just thought this was a great idea, and they approached me to see if they could be um, my distributor for uh, yarn stores. And uh, I, of course, was completely thrilled. And so that's how the interweave thing came about. And they also will sell the audiobooks on their website. They're on their their book page on the website. But I'm selling them through Knitting Out Loud as well on my website, so they're two places on the internet so far.
0: That's very cool. And does that mean when you say selling them on the website, does that mean that people can pay and then immediately download? I haven't got the download piece into place yet. Um, I, in fact,
1: we, we're just coming out now with our very first two audiobooks, and I will have them today. Um, They're coming from the factory. Yes. (laughs) So this Mm. is a really nice day to to be doing this interview. But anyway, yeah, around 3 o'clock, a big truck should be pulling up here, and um, we should be receiving the first shipment.
0: Oh, my Um, gosh, that's so exciting. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. So I have applied to um, overdrive.com. And I looked at Audible.com for downloading, but they have—I think—they require that you have something like ten published books or five books or some number that I don't have yet. Uh, so right. when I get that number, I will go to Audible as well.
0: Wow! Yeah, someone—that's so—you're such a grown-up. I'm—I'm <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm 55, so let's hope so. After all these years. You know, it does happen after a while.
0: Oh, <laughs> man. I just, anyway,
1: that's so nice of you to say.
0: <laughs> I just hit 40, and I'm actually starting to appreciate the whole, wow, I'm a grown-up part. Yeah, yeah, it comes. It's nice not to be a kid anymore. Are, well, what, yeah. what first got you interested in doing... Um, D- the knitting books on, on uh, uh, recorded books that are that are for knitters and about knitting and, and ethnic uh, design and things
1: well um, I have knit off and on since I was a teenager and um, picked up the needles again just this winter last winter um, thought oh I'm going to make you know some scarves for friends for presents and I walked into my local yarn store and um, oh it was unbelievable the change that had happened to yarns in the times since I'd knit before and I mean it was like you know a candy store the colors and the oh the really soft ones and all the different textures and I was totally totally blown away And, and I just I fell in love you know yeah um and and also wooden needles, that really changed it for me, too. It makes it a much more sensual experience. Anyway, I just fell headlong into knitting, and I started knitting up a storm, and I went to the library, and I got all these books on knitting. And I found all this wonderful literature on knitting, and um, I... And it was terrible. This was back when I had time before I started this company. But I would sit and <laughs> <laughs> I would think, oh, gosh, well, I really want to read these books on knitting, but but I really want to be knitting at the same time. And I thought, well, they really should be on audio. So that's
0: how I yep. got the idea. I think it's it's so brilliant because you're doing your company is doing the parallel track to what the podcast is doing. Cause I do, I do literature and specifically classic literature that isn't copy protected because then I can, I can play the audio. That's so neat. But, um yeah. but it's that same idea that, you know, knitters and craftspeople seem to be pretty avid readers yep. as well. Yep. And I know from a lot of friends back in New York where, where I got the idea from, they were all getting really frustrated cause it was cutting into their reading time mm-hmm. to, to be, doing the crafting that they loved and that was giving them some sense of fulfillment. Right. Um, but, but they lost it. And I was so excited to see that Richard Rett's book is one of yours.
1: Yes, I'm thrilled. We just finished recording that, and I had the absolute perfect narrator for this book, a woman who lived in the U.K. for years and years and years, speaks many different languages so she could sail right uh, through all of the, I mean, the Latin and the French and the Italian and Polish and German uh, and everything in that book, and plus she just has this wonderful voice. It was such a pleasure to record this book with her, Melissa Hughes. Oh, spectacular. So I'm really excited about that. She also just recorded uh, The Art of Fair Isle Knitting and um, C. Wilson's book. Um, And, again, we're not doing patterns in any of these books that have patterns. We're just doing the history. So it's a history of Fair Isle knitting. It's really lovely. And that will just be on two CDs. But the um, history of knitting is going to be on four. Yeah.
0: Well, actually, I I was going to tell you, I, I think it's really wonderful that you are going to ultimately have the option of the download or the CD because I know, especially back East and certainly here in, in the Southwest when you get um, out into the boonies, that a lot of the women who I've met at... SOAR and at Rhinebeck and at Maryland Sheep and Wool, they're out just far enough that they can't get DSL or broadband. Oh yeah. and downloading is not an option for them. I have to send CDs of my podcast to them. Wow. So it's I think I think you will find that having having the option of the C D is going to turn out to be a really, really good move. Oh good. Um, because yeah, it's it's um plus, you know, having having a hard copy on CD form is, is also nice. It's, well, it means that if your computer crashes, you don't lose the book.
1: Right. And, and, you know, it means that they can be in bookstores, um, in, in yarn right. shops, they can, you know, I just registered on Amazon, so hopefully they'll be available there soon. So it's, um, it, it broadens it a bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think so too. Well, what, so now you have Richard Rutt's book, you have the, which I, I should say, other people aren't necessarily going to know this book. The, he, he wrote, he's a, he's a priest? No, he's a,
1: he was a bishop. He's he a minister. A bishop of
0: Leicester. That was it.
1: Yeah. He was a retired
0: bishop. He took it upon himself to write a history, the entire history of hand knitting, I think.
1: Well, he, um, he does call it the entire history of hand knitting, but it is very, very British centric, um, if you will. It's, it's heavily, heavily, heavily um, the history of hand knitting in Britain. I mean, he does talk a little bit about. Um, he kind of makes a nod to America and South America, and um, <laughs> he uh, talks. Oh, uh, I think one or two sentences about Scandinavian knitting. Isn't that amazing? Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very <laughs> British, but it's still totally charming and. And he really, he goes back to the beginnings, and he talks about the differences between knitting and knoll-bending. Um, so it's, it's scholarly, but he does have a lot of wonder, wonderful anecdotes in it. And, um, but as I say, it's heavily slanted towards uh, the Brits. Right. The other book that we're doing this fall along those lines is No Idle Hands. Which is the history of the social history of knitting in
0: America? I looked at that one too. I'm so excited that you're doing that because I didn't finish that book and I was kicking myself for not finishing it. It's a wonderful
1: book, and that really fleshes out the whole story of knitting in this country. Um, Really, it's wonderful. We're just going to start recording that on Monday, actually. So the, oh, how fun! Yeah, they'll they'll all be available. Um, maybe even mid December, but probably not till January. January is the official date for those three to be available. Cool.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: tell us a little bit about how the process of of recording the books goes. How do you how do you accomplish that?
1: Well, when I First, had this idea. Um, I, I had this idea because I knew of a woman uh, two towns over here who had her own audiobook company, and I thought, well, I'll call her and see if she can talk to me about it. So, I did call her. It's Heather Fredericks who's produced the the first three of my audiobooks, and she thought this was the dumbest, dumbest idea she'd ever heard in her life. She, um, she's <laughs> doing, you know, fiction. And, uh, but anyway, she did see me and I showed her the books. And when I showed her the books, she just flipped. She said, Oh, these are fabulous. She it, you know, mm-hmm. right away, this is the literature of knitting. So she was very excited and agreed to produce these books since I had no idea how to do it. And there is, we have a recording studio, um, about half an hour away from, from me. And, um, this fabulous, um, recording engineer, and um, so basically, you have to, hi- you know, hire the correct narrator. You have to find the narrator who has just the voice you want for the particular book. Um, right. And that that's important. For that, of course, again, Heather was absolutely invaluable because she'd been doing this for twelve years and knew the narrators. There are tons of narrators between here in New York, of course. And I'm in Maine anyway. um, And so, you know, we, oh, and then of course, the first thing I had to do was to get the audio rights from the publishers. And um, that was, that was nervous making, you know, to suddenly start calling these, you know, random house and people like that to ask for their, the audio rights. But, but I did it. And uh, a lot of people were absolutely thrilled um, Voyager Press, uh, gave me the rights to, um, knitting memories, which is one of my first two, um, they're, they were thrilled and I'm working with them on a couple of other books now. Um, so a lot of people just, but actually the, the head of Voyager Press knits the man and he, uh-huh. so he, he got it right away, you know,
0: anyway, <laughs> um, and that's so cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I, I just kept uh, calling and calling and calling until I got the books I wanted. And um, I was thrilled when when I got the audio rights to stitch and Bitch. I'm totally thrilled. And that was very exciting to work with Debbie Stoller. She narrated the whole thing herself. Cool. Um, she did it from New York because she doesn't like to fly. So uh, she was in a recording studio there, and they patched us in and... Um, we produced it from here, but um, she just did this wonderful, wonderful job, and her audio book will be available next uh, week, the end of next week.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay, so tell us what your whole collection is so far, and then what's on the horizon okay. for the next the so next recordings.
1: Done and Arriving Today is um, Yay. <laughs> yes, Knitting Memories, Reflections on the Knitter's Life, and this is um, edited by Leila Narji. And it's a group of essays by different people, like um, Teva Durham and uh, Clara Parks of the Knitters Review, and um, right. Lily Chin, and and a whole bunch of people. And they're just wonderful stories. Some of them are very funny. Some are really sad. Um, some are sort of written from a historical point of view. But they're just they're moving. They're you know moving stories about knitting. How knitting has affected the lives of these people. And um, then American Knits, which is Melanie Fallick's book and originally published mm-hmm. as Knitting in America. And um, that is uh, a series of interviews. Melanie traveled across the country and interviewed um, knitters, not just knitters, but weavers, spinners, um, shepherds, meaning you know, people who imported like the first flock of Merino sheep and All people in the fiber world, um, Lilana Wolves, which was so influential down there in Taos um, for a bunch of people, and this woman um, who is growing colored cotton so it doesn't have to be dyed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, all these people, and these are wonderful, wonderful interviews. So that was a great book to record. So those are my first two. They're coming out today. That's so
0: cool. And then
1: um, Stitch and Bitch, narrated by Debbie Stoller, uh, is at the duplicator, and that will be available, I'm hoping, the end of next week. Um, Wow. Okay, so what we're recording this fall for release in January are The History of Hand Knitting, um, No Idle Hands, The Social Mm -hmm. History of Knitting in America, and The Art of Fair Isle Knitting. And... So those will be released in January. I'm working on a couple of other contracts. I will be, um, let's see, I have a definite contract from Layla Narji for her book, Knitting Lessons. Knitting Lessons um, is, it's written by Layla, but she, again, she interviewed people across the country. And um, it's it's sort of a, a younger book. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not really established knitters and people, although there are many in there. But a lot of them are, you know, like teenagers who knit and, and knit weird things and do it in odd ways that someone my age wouldn't have spot of. you know? <laughs> it's right. it's really, um, it's quite wonderful. And actually, Knitting Lessons is the book that got me started on this whole idea. In fact, I was reading this book and I loved it so much. And I thought, I want to be listening to this. So, that will be oh, really interesting really fun so um that's a for sure i have a couple of other contracts i'm working on so i probably can't actually say
0: you, yeah you can't
1: yeah what they are can't but talk um there you know there will be a lot more it's people are at this point quite excited about the idea and um yeah i pretty much have the schedule set for recording in fact through next
0: um summer wow that's so exciting yeah it's fun now, do you have a do you have a website that I can link to from the show notes to I, I to do. so people can find you
1: yes it's um knitting out loud
0: out oh, well, that's easy yeah yay <laughs> yay oh I'm so excited oh, well, I wish you, you all the best and before I let you go because we are a literature podcast uh-huh. I do have to ask you what are your favorite books as far as the classical realm of literature goes ah
1: uh. All right. You ready? Um, Yep. (laughs) Jane Austen. (laughs) Yep. Jane Austen. Um, I love Balzac. Um, Really? Absolutely. He's in the vein of Jane Austen. If you haven't plunged in, you really must. You'll be thrilled. Oh, so much fun. Page turners. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tolstoy Anna Karenina is one of my very favorites. Just a stunning, stunning novel um i love iris murdoch uh-huh um robertson davies do you know robertson davies
0: i haven't read him okay you might
1: immediately trot right out and pick up um the manticore and read it you'll okay you'll love it everybody loves the manticore it's it's just a fabulous book anyway he's great um there's a woman named laurie colwyn who died quite young she was in her 40s and i really love her her books they're kind of like a modern jane austen i know people say that ad nauseum but um laurie colin is it's light reading but she's one of those writers who always makes you um who reinforces your belief that life is worth living oh that's nice yeah and she actually has written two cookbooks too which are basically sort of essays on various things, but um and they're great too. Cool. Is that enough? That's pretty good. Oh Colette. (laughs) I love Colette. My mother's house. Have you ever read that one? Cedo? No. Oh god, they're fabulous. Yeah? Yeah, those two in particular, My Mother's House and Cedo. Those are really um reminiscences of her growing up in um France, you know, that turn of the century. Oh just stunning books.
0: Oh I'm so excited. This is great. I'm always looking for, for a new reading list. Not that I have you know tons of time to read anymore, but but uh, it's nice. Have you thought of doing other other kinds of, of crafty books outside of knitting, like cookbooks and things like that, that have um, heavy narrative? I think it might
1: be really fun eventually to do um, some cooking writing and some garden writing. Um, mm. I love Vita the wests garden books. They have been recorded, Um, and in fact, it's a superb recording, which I love, but um, things like that. And in cooking, I love um, Elizabeth David, is just a wonderful cooking writer. But, um, well, you know, there's so much in knitting, I think I need to get get a handle on
0: this first. (laughs) You're going to be busy for a while. I think so, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I wish you all the best. This is so, so exciting. And I know, I just know that the listeners for Craft Lit are going to be thrilled to find out that, that you exist and oh. that this is coming down the pipe and that they have, they will have access to all of this oh, again. Great. And I'm so excited
1: for you. Oh, thank you, Heather. It's really been fun to talk to you. And one of the most wonderful things about this whole doing this whole thing is meeting all of these just wonderful and amazing people who are pursuing what they love, you know, even if it isn't yep. necessarily remunerative. Um, you know, we all cobble yep. together livings, but it's um it's so neat to just meet a group of people who are totally passionate about what they're doing.
0: Well we wish you all the best. Well thank and, you. And um and I'll be in touch. Great. Thank you so much. So pretty cool, huh? So uh, Kathy's CDs are available now on the website, and uh, at some point they will also be downloadable. Although, we, as you heard, we both thought that having the CD, the hard copy, is, is not such a bad idea, especially since um, I think we all know people who are out of DSL or broadband range, and dial up and downloading, just they aren't good friends. I do have some other news for you. I got some great emails this week. Um, uh, Victoria wrote a very interesting email about um, old, old other myths uh, with this image of Tristan on the waves, that there are, there are other myths from the same area of the world where people are set to see in a, um, in a boat of some sort. And uh, it was fascinating. I'm going to post that email actually on the website because I can't pronounce any of the names. Um, Sarah was the first one to email me with the information about the Selkies. And the movie was The Secret of Rowan Inish, the one that I couldn't remember uh, last episode. And if you haven't seen the movie The Secret of Rowan Inish, I cannot impress upon you enough how much you will love it. It's breathtaking in so, so many ways. And it also includes liminal space. And I'm not going to spoil that for you. Um, Beverly sent in a hilarious email where she had once heard of a Victorian King Lear where they had a happy ending tacked onto it. And again, this is the idea of um, stories changing depending on kind of the social mores of their time. How the Tristan and Isolde story has probably been morphed a number of times, not just with the the courtly love structure that it started with, and, and then morphing into the two separate versions, kind of the courtly version and the, the vulgar version, but, um, but also the The idea that we can just, you know, randomly change endings. It's kind of like colorizing films. Fiona also said that she would follow me anywhere, including Frankenstein, as long as I didn't try and subject her to Mark Twain. (laughs) I'll hold off on that for a while, Fiona. Today's episodes are actually um, pretty self-explanatory. This is the what happens after the happily ever after. And it's going to take us, this is another setup week before we can get to the rest of the action so if if you feel kind of like you're in a holding pattern this week, you you kind of are. Um, this is this is lobbing the ball to set it up for the spike again. This first chapter is the Wood of Morwa, which is where Tristan and Isolde go after they have run away.
2: Part the second, the Wood of Morroi. They wandered in the depths of the wild wood, restless and in haste, like beasts that are hunted nor did they often dare to return by night to the shelter of yesterday. They ate but the flesh of wild animals. Their faces sank and grew white, their clothes ragged, for the briars tore them. They loved each other, and they did not know that they suffered. One day, as they were wandering in these high woods that had never yet been felled or ordered, they came upon the hermitage of Ogrin. THE OLD MAN LIMPED IN THE SUNLIGHT UNDER A LIGHT GROWTH OF MAPLES NEAR HIS CHAPEL. HE leant UPON HIS crutch AND CRIED, LORD TRISTAN, HEAR THE GREAT OATH WHICH THE CORNISH MEN HAVE SWORN. THE KING HAS PUBLISHED A BAN IN EVERY PARISH. WHOSOEVER MAY SEIZE YOU SHALL RECEIVE A HUNDRED MARKS OF GOLD FOR HIS GUERDON, AND ALL THE BARONS HAVE SWORN TO GIVE YOU UP, ALIVE OR DEAD. DO PENANCE, TRISTAN. GOD PARDONS THE SINNER WHO TURNS TO REPENTANCE. "'And of what should I repent, Ogrin, my lord? "'Or of what crime? "'You that sit in judgment upon us here, "'do you know what cup it was we drank upon the high sea? "'That good great draught inebriates us both. "'I would rather beg my life long "'and live of roots and herbs with his salt "'than, lacking her, be king of a wide kingdom. "'God aid you, Lord Tristan, "'for you have lost both this world and the next.' A man that is traitor to his lord is worthy to be torn by horses and burnt upon the faggot. And wherever his ashes fall, no grass shall grow, and all tillage is waste, and the trees and the green things die. Lord Tristan, give back the queen to the man who espoused her lawfully according to the laws of Rome. He gave her to his lepers. From these lepers I myself conquered her with my own hand, and henceforth she is altogether mine. SHE CANNOT PASS FROM ME, NOR I FROM HER. Ogrin sat down, but at his feet Isolt, her head upon the knees of that man of God, wept silently. The hermit told her and retold her the words of his holy book, but still while she wept she shook her head and refused the faith he offered. Ah me, said Ogrin then, what comfort can one give the dead? Do penance, Tristan, for a man who lives in sin without repenting is a man quite dead. "'Oh, no,' said Tristan, "'I live and I do no penance. "'We will go back into the high wood, which comforts and wards us all round about. "'Come with me, Isolt, my friend.' Isolt rose up. "'They held each other's hands. "'They passed into the high grass and the underwood. "'The trees hid them with their branches. "'They disappeared beyond the leaves.' The summer passed, and the winter came. The two lovers lived, all hidden in the hollow of a rock, and on the frozen earth the cold crisped their couch with dead leaves. In the strength of their love neither one nor the other felt these mortal things. But when the open skies had come back with the springtime, they built a hut of green branches under the great trees. Tristan had known ever since his childhood that art by which a man may sing the song of birds in the woods— and at his fancy he would call as call the thrush, the blackbird, and the nightingale, and all winged things, and sometimes in reply very many birds would come on to the branches of his hut and sing their song full-throated in the new light. The lovers had ceased to wander through the forest, for none of the barons ran the risk of their pursuit, knowing well that Tristan would have hanged them to the branches of a tree. One day, however, one of the four traitors, Gwenelon, whom God Blast, drawn by the heat of the hunt, dared enter the Morroi. And that morning, on the forest edge in a ravine, Gauvinol, having unsaddled his horse, had let him graze on the new grass. While far off in their hut, Tristan held the queen, and they slept. Then suddenly Gauvinol heard the cry of the pack. The hounds pursued a deer which fell into that ravine. And far on the heath the hunter showed, and Gauvinal knew him for the man whom his master hated above all. Alone, with bloody spurs and striking his horse's mane, he galloped on. But Gauvinal watched him from ambush. He came fast. He would return more slowly. He passed, and Gauvinal leapt from his ambush and seized the rein, and suddenly, remembering all the wrong that man had done, hewed him to death, and carried off his head in his hands. And when the hunters found the body, as they followed, they thought Tristan came after, and they fled in fear of death, and thereafter no man hunted in that wood. And far off, in the hut upon their couch of leaves, slept Tristan and the queen. There came Gorvinal, noiseless, the dead man's head in his hands, that he might lift his master's heart at his wakening. He hung it by its hair outside the hut, and the leaves garlanded it about. Tristan woke and saw it, half hidden in the leaves, and staring at him as he gazed, and he became afraid. But Gorvinal said, Fear not, he is dead. I killed him with this sword. Then Tristan was glad, and henceforward from that day no one dared enter the wild wood, for terror guarded it, and the lovers were lords of it all. And then it was that Tristan fashioned his bow Failnought, which struck home always man or beast, whatever it aimed at. My lords, upon a summer day, when mowing is, a little after whitsuntide, as the birds sang dawn, Tristan left his hut and girt his sword on him, and took his bow NOT, and went off to hunt in the wood. But before evening, great evil was to fall on him for no lovers ever loved so much or paid their love so dear. When Tristan came back, broken by the heat, the queen said, Friend, where have you been? Hunting a heart, he said, that wearied me. I would lie down and sleep. So she lay down, and he, and between them Tristan put his naked sword, and on the queen's finger was that ring of gold with emerald set therein. "'which Mark had given her on her bridal day. "'But her hand was so wasted "'that the ring hardly held, "'and no wind blew, "'and no leaves stirred. "'But through a crevice in the branches "'a sunbeam fell upon the face of his sort, "'and it shone white like ice. "'Now a woodman found in the wood "'a place where the leaves were crushed, "'where the lovers had halted and slept, "'and he followed their track "'and found the hut.' and saw them sleeping, and fled off, fearing the terrible awakening of that lord. He fled to Tintagel, and going up the stairs of the palace, found the king as he held his pleas in hall amid the vassals assembled. Friend, said king, what came you hither to seek in haste and breathless, like a huntsman that has followed the dogs afoot? Have you some wrong to right, or has any man driven you? But the woodman took him aside and said low down, I HAVE SEEN THE QUEEN and TRISTAN, AND I FEARED AND FLED. WHERE SAW YOU THEM? IN A HUT IN MORORI. THEY SLEPT SIDE BY SIDE. COME SWIFTLY AND TAKE YOUR VENGEANCE. GO, SAID THE KING, AND await ME AT THE FIRST EDGE WHERE THE RED CROSS STANDS, AND TELL NO MAN WHAT YOU HAVE SEEN. YOU SHALL HAVE GOLD AND SILVER AT YOUR WILL. THE KING HAD SADDLED HIS HORSE AND GIRT HIS SWORD, AND LEFT THE CITY ALONE, AND AS HE rode ALONE HE MINDED HIM OF THE NIGHT WHEN HE HAD SEEN TRISTAN UNDER THE GREAT PINE-TREE, and INSULT WITH HER CLEAR FACE, AND HE THOUGHT, IF I FIND THEM, I WILL AVENGE THIS AWFUL WRONG. AT THE FOOT OF THE RED CROSS HE CAME TO THE WOODMAN AND SAID, GO FIRST AND LEAD ME STRAIGHT AND QUICKLY. THE DARK SHADE OF THE GREAT TREES WRAPPED THEM ROUND, AND AS THE KING FOLLOWED THE SPY, HE FELT HIS SWORD and trusted it for the great blows it had struck of old. And surely had Tristan wakened, one of the two had stayed there dead. Then the woodman said, King, we are near. He held the stirrup, and tied the rein to a green apple tree, and saw in a sunlit glade the hut with its flowers and leaves. Then the king cast his cloak with its fine buckle of gold, and drew his sword from its sheath, and said again in his heart that they or he should die. AND HE SIGNED TO THE WOODMAN TO BE GONE. HE CAME ALONE INTO THE HUT, SWORD bare, AND WATCHED THEM AS THEY LAY. BUT HE SAW THAT THEY WERE APART, AND HE WONDERED BECAUSE BETWEEN THEM WAS THE NAKED BLADE. THEN HE SAID TO HIMSELF, MY GOD, I MAY NOT KILL THEM, FOR ALL THE TIME THEY HAVE LIVED TOGETHER IN THIS WOOD, THESE TWO LOVERS, YET IS THE SWORD HERE BETWEEN THEM, AND THROUGHOUT CHRISTENDOM MEN KNOW THAT SIGN. Therefore I will not slay, for that would be treason and wrong. But I will do so that when they wake, they may know that I found them here asleep, and spared them, and that God had pity on them both. And still the sunbeam fell upon the white face of his sword, and the king took his ermine gloves, and put them up against the crevice whence it shone. Then in her sleep a vision came to result. She seemed to be in a great wood, AND TWO LIONS NEAR HER FOUGHT FOR HER, AND SHE GAVE A CRY AND WOKE, AND THE GLOVES FELL UPON HER BREAST, AND AT THE CRY TRISTAN WOKE AND MADE TO SEIZE HIS SWORD, AND SAW BY THE GOLDEN HILT THAT IT WAS THE KING'S, AND THE QUEEN SAW ON HER FINGER THE KING'S RING, AND SHE CRIED, O MY LORD, THE KING HAS FOUND US HERE, AND TRISTAN SAID, HE HAS TAKEN MY SWORD, HE WAS ALONE, BUT HE WILL RETURN, AND WILL BURN US BEFORE THE PEOPLE. Let us fly. So by great marches with Gauvinal alone, they fled towards Wales. End of the Wood of Morori.
0: I gathered from that that there was uh, symbolic imagery in the... um, having the sword in between them. I didn't know if that was Christian iconography or if that was just kind of folklore, but I assumed that what it meant was, as far as King Mark was concerned, that while they were sleeping in the same bed together, they hadn't been sleeping together. Um, that was the best I could I could come up with. But clearly, things are afoot once again. So now we go into Ogrin the Hermit.
2: After three days it happened that Tristan, in following a wounded deer far out into the wood, was caught by nightfall, and took to thinking thus under the dark wood alone. It was not fear that moved the king. He had my sword and I slept, and had he wished to slay, Why did he leave me his own blade? Oh, my father, my father, I know you now. There was pardon in your heart and tenderness and pity. Yet how was that? For who could forgive in this matter without shame? It was not pardon, it was understanding. The faggot and the chantry leap and the leper ambush have shown him God upon our side. Also, I think he remembered the boy who long ago harped at his feet, AND MY LAND OF LEONESS, WHICH I LEFT FOR HIM. THE MORHOLT SPEAR AND BLOOD SHED IN HIS HONOR. HE REMEMBERED HOW I MADE NO avowal BUT CLAIMED A TRIAL AT ARMS, AND THE HIGH NATURE OF HIS HEART HAS MADE HIM UNDERSTAND WHAT MEN AROUND HIM CANNOT. NEVER CAN HE KNOW OF THE SPELL, YET HE DOUBTS AND HOPES AND KNOWS I HAVE TOLD NO LIE, AND WOULD HAVE ME PROVE MY CAUSE. Oh, BUT TO WIN AT ARMS BY GOD'S AID FOR HIM, AND TO ENTER HIS PEACE AND TO PUT ON MAIL FOR HIM AGAIN. "'but then he must take her back, and I must yield her. "'It would have been much better had he killed me in my sleep, "'for till now I was hunted, and I could hate and forget. "'He had thrown his salt to the lepers. "'She was no more his but mine. "'And now, by his compassion, he has wakened my heart "'and regained the queen. "'For queen she was at his side, "'but in this wood she lives a slave, and I waste her youth. "'And for rooms all hung with silk, she has this savage place.' and a hut for her splendid walls, and I am the cause that she treads this ugly road. So now I cry to God the Lord, who is king of the world, and beg him to give me strength to yield back his soul to King Mark, for she is indeed his wife, wed according to the laws of Rome, before all the barony of his land. And as he thought thus, he leant upon his bow, and all through the night considered his sorrow. Within the hollow of thorns that was their resting place, Ysolt the fair awaited Tristan's return. The golden ring that King Mark had slipped there glistened on her finger in the moonlight, and she thought, He that put on this ring is not the man who threw me to his lepers in his wrath. He is rather that compassionate lord who, from the day I touched his shore, received me and protected. And he loved Tristan once, but I came, and see what I have done. HE SHOULD HAVE LIVED IN THE KING'S PALACE. HE SHOULD HAVE RIDDEN THROUGH KING'S AND BARONS' FEES, FINDING ADVENTURE. BUT THROUGH ME HE HAS FORGOTTEN HIS KNIGHTHOOD AND IS HUNTED AND EXILED FROM THE COURT, LEADING A RANDOM LIFE. JUST THEN SHE HEARD THE FEET OF TRISTAN COMING OVER THE DEAD LEAVES AND twigs. SHE CAME TO MEET HIM AS WAS HER wont, TO RELIEVE HIM OF HIS ARMS, AND SHE TOOK FROM HIM HIS BOW, FAIL NOT, AND HIS ARROWS, and she unbuckled his sword's straps, and, Friend, said he, it is the king's sword. It should have slain, but it spared us. Esau took the sword and kissed the hilt of gold, and Tristan saw her weeping. Friend, said he, if I could make my peace with the king, if he would allow me to sustain in arms that neither by act nor word have I loved you with a wrongful love, any knight from the marshes of Elar, right away to Durome, That would gainsay me, would find me armed in the ring. Then if the king would keep you and drive me out, I would cross to the lowlands, or to Brittany with Gauvinal alone. But wherever I went, and always, queen, I should be yours. Nor would I have spoken thus, Isolt, but for the wretchedness you bear so long for my sake in this desert land. Tristan, she said, there is the hermit Ogrin. Let us return to him and cry mercy to the King of Heaven. They wakened Gauvinal. Isolt mounted the steed, and Tristan led it by the bridle. And all night long they went for the last time through the woods of their love. And they did not speak a word. By morning they came to the hermitage, where Ogryn read at the threshold, and seeing them, called them tenderly. Friends, he cried, see how love drives you still to further wretchedness. "'Will you not do penance at last for your madness?' "'Lord Ogrin? said Tristan, "'hear us. "'Help us to offer peace to the king, "'and I will yield him the queen, "'and will myself go far away into Brittany or the lowlands, "'and if some day the king suffer me, "'I will return and serve as I should.' "'And at the hermit's feet Isolt said in her turn, "'Nor will I live longer so, "'for though I will not say one word of penance for my love, "'which is there and remains for ever,' yet from now on I will be separate from him. Then the hermit wept and praised God and cried, High King, I praise thy name, for that thou hast let me live so long as to give aid to these. And he gave them wise counsel and took ink, and wrote a little writ offering the king what Tristan said. That night Tristan took the road. Once more he saw the marble well and the tall pine tree, and he came beneath the window where the king slept and called him gently, and Mark awoke and whispered, Who are you that call me in the night at such an hour? Lord, I am Tristan. I bring you a writ and lay it here. And the king cried, Nephew, nephew, for God's sake, wait a while. But Tristan had fled and joined his squire, and mounted rapidly. Gauvinor said to him, O Tristan, you are mad to have come. Fly hard with me by the nearest road. So they came back to the hermitage, and there they found Ogrin at prayer, but Isolt weeping silently. End of Ogrin the Hermit.
0: It would be interesting if we could find out, and I have not been able to find out uh, online, if this is one of the altered pieces of the story, um, that they they decide to go back and um, and do the right thing, or if this was, an, in fact, the original. Um, because of what's coming next, I have a feeling that this actually was part of the original. Um, and uh, I won't spoil it for you, because it's coming next. So, hang on. The next chapter is called The Ford.
2: Mark had awakened his chaplain, and had given him the writ to read. The chaplain broke the seal, saluted in Tristan's name, And then, when he had cunningly made out the written words, told him what Tristan offered. And Mark heard without saying a word. But his heart was glad, for he still loved the queen. He summoned by name the choicest of his baronage. And when they were all assembled, they were silent, and the king spoke. My lords, here is a writ just sent to me. I am your king, and you my lieges. Hear what is offered me, and then counsel me, for you owe me counsel." The chaplain rose, unfolded the writ, and said upstanding, My lords, it is Tristan that first sends love and homage to the king and all his barony. And he adds, O king, when I slew the dragon and conquered the king of Ireland's daughter, it was to me they gave her. I was toward her at will, and I yielded her to you. Yet hardly had you wed her, when felons made you accept their lies. And in your anger, fair uncle, my lord, You would have had us burnt without trial. But God took compassion on us. We prayed him, and he saved the queen, as justice was. And me also. Though I leapt from a high rock, I was saved by the power of God. And since then, what have I done blameworthy? The queen was thrown to the lepers. I came to her succor and bore her away. Could I have done less for a woman, who all but died innocent through me? I fled through the woods, nor could I have come down into the vale and yielded her, for there was a band to take us dead or alive. But now, as then, I am ready, my lord, to sustain in arms against all comers that never had the queen for me, nor I for her, a love dishonorable to you. Publish the lists. And if I cannot prove my right in arms, burn me before your men. But if I conquer, and you take back Isolt, no baron of yours will serve you as will I. AND IF YOU WILL NOT HAVE ME, I WILL OFFER MYSELF TO THE KING OF GALLOWAY, OR TO HIM OF THE LOWLANDS, AND YOU WILL HEAR OF ME NEVER AGAIN. TAKE COUNSEL, KING, FOR IF YOU WILL MAKE NO TERMS, I WILL TAKE BACK Isolt TO IRELAND, AND SHE SHALL BE QUEEN IN HER OWN LAND. WHEN THE BARONS OF CORNWALL HEARD HOW TRISTAN OFFERED BATTLE, THEY SAID TO THE KING, SIRE, TAKE BACK THE QUEEN. THEY WERE MADMEN THAT BELIED HER TO YOU. But as for Tristan, let him go and war it in Galloway or in the lowlands. Bring him back, Isolt on such a day, and that soon. Then the king called thrice clearly, Will any man rise in accusation against Tristan? And as none replied, he said to his chaplain, Write me a writ in haste. You have heard what you shall write. Isolt has suffered enough in her youth. And let the writ be hung upon the arm of the Red Cross before evening." Write speedily. Towards midnight Tristan crossed the heath of sand and found the writ and bore it sealed to Ogrin and the hermit read the letter. How Mark consented by the counsel of his barons to take back Isolt but not to keep Tristan for his liege rather let him cross the sea when on the third day hence at the ford of Chances he had given back the queen into King Mark's hands. Then Tristan said to the queen, O my God, I must lose you, friend, but it must be since I can thus spare you what you suffer for my sake. But when we part forever, I will give you a pledge of mine to keep, and from whatever unknown land I reach I will send some messenger, and he will bring back word of you, and at your call I will come from far away. Isolt said, sighing, Tristan, leave me your dog, tootold, and every time I see him, I will remember you and will be less sad. And, friend, I have here a ring of green jasper. Take it for the love of me and put it on your finger. Then if anyone comes saying he is from you, I will not trust him at all till he show me this ring. But once I have seen it, there is no power or royal ban that can prevent me from doing what you bid, wisdom or folly. Friend, he said, here give I you tootold. Friend, she replied, Take you this ring in reward. And they kissed each other on the lips. Now Ogrin, having left the lovers in the hermitage, hobbled upon his crutch to the place called the Mount, and he bought ermine there, and fur, and cloth of silk, and purple, and scarlet, and a palfrey harnessed in gold that went softly. And the folk laughed to see him spending upon these the small monies he had amassed so long. "'but the old man put the rich stuffs upon the palfrey "'and came back to his salt, and, "'Queen,' said he, "'take these gifts of mine that you may seem the finer "'on the day when you come to the ford.' "'Meanwhile the king had had cried through Cornwall "'the news that on the third day "'he would make his peace with the queen at the ford, "'and knights and ladies came in a crowd to the gathering, "'for all loved the queen and would see her, "'save the three felons that yet survived.' On the day chosen for the meeting, the field shone far with the rich tents of the barons, and suddenly Tristan and Isolt came out at the forest edge and caught sight of King Mark far off among his barony. Friend, said Tristan, there is the king, your lord, his knights and his men. They are coming towards us, and very soon we may not speak to each other again. By the God of power I conjure you. If ever I send you a word, do you my bidding." Friend, said Isolt, on the day that I see the ring, nor tower, nor wall, nor stronghold will let me from doing the will of my friend. Why then, he said, Isolt, may God reward you. Their horses went abreast, and he drew her towards him with his arm. Friend, said Isolt, hear my last prayer. You will leave this land, but wait some days. Hide till you know how the king may treat me, whether in wrath or kindness, for I am afraid. Friend, Ori the woodman will entertain you hidden. Go you by night to the abandoned cellar that you know, and I will send Perinus there to say if any one misuse me. Friend, none would dare. I will stay hidden with Ori, and if any misuse you, let him fear me as the enemy himself. Now the two troops were near, and they saluted, and the king rode a bowshot before his men, and with him Dinus of Lydon. And when the barons had come up, Tristan, holding Isolt's palfrey by the bridle, bowed to the king and said, O king, I yield you here, Isolt the fair, and I summon you before the men of your land that I may defend myself in your court, for I have had no judgment. Let me have trial at arms, and if I am conquered, burn me. But if I conquer, keep me by you, or, if you will not, I will be off to some far country. But no one took up Tristan's wager, and the king, taking his palfrey by the bridle, gave it to Dinus, and went apart to take counsel. Dionysus, in his joy, gave all honour and courtesy to the queen. But when the felons saw her so fair and honoured as of old, they were stirred and rode to the king and said, King, hear our counsel. That the queen was slandered, we admit. But if she and Tristan re-enter your court together, rumour will revive again. Rather let Tristan go apart awhile. Doubtless some day you may recall him. And so Mark did, and ordered Tristan by his barons to go off without delay. Then Tristan came near the queen for his farewell, and as they looked at one another the queen in shame of that assembly blushed. But the king pitied her, and spoke his nephew thus for the first time. You cannot leave in these rags. Take then from my treasury gold and silver and white fur and grey as much as you will. King, said Tristan, neither a penny nor a link of mail. I will go as I can, and serve with high heart the mighty king of the lowlands. And he turned rein, and went towards the sea. But Isolt followed him with her eyes, and so long as he could yet be seen a long way off, she did not turn. Now at the news of the peace, men, women, and children, great and small, ran out of the town in a crowd to meet Isolt. And while they mourned Tristan's exile, they rejoiced at the queen's return. And to the noise of bells, and over paving strewn with branches, the king and his counts and princes made her escort, and the gates of the palace were thrown open, that rich and poor might enter and eat and drink at will. And Mark freed a hundred of his slaves, and armed the score of squires that day with hauberk and with sword. But Tristan that night hid with Ori, as the queen had counselled him end of the Ford.
0: So things have changed in Cornwall and um, I think you can see how it's getting set up for for the end of the story. We should be I'm looking at the times on the next few chapters. Um, we should be done in another two weeks and then we will start Frankenstein, which um, is kind of perfect because that means. We'll be starting Frankenstein the second week of October. Ooh, I think we'll be starting it right before I leave for SOAR. Hey, if any of you are going to SOAR, please drop me a line and let me know so that we can hook up there. I know they have um, special interest group nights, and um, they last year had blogging, and this year I think they have blogging and podcasting, because I don't think I'm the only podcaster anymore who's going to be there. So make sure you email me mamaonits all one word, at gmail.com. Um, I also have to make a big thank you, uh, a couple of them actually, one for Lauren who has uh, donated again. Thank you so much. You are in the running for a charm by Jen Minnis with my other September donors. I also wanted to give a big thank you to Cheeky Redhead. She's um, been on Ravelry with uh, a bunch of us for a while And she told me that her grandmother was one of the last native speakers of Cornish, which was the language that I was unable to pronounce um, when I was talking about the Tristan's Leap site. And she linked me up to a Wikipedia article on some of these insular Celtic languages um, because there wasn't a whole lot of uh, travel and trade for a while in rugged country. A lot of these languages kind of sat there and um, because they were so... insulated and isolated they only changed within themselves they were untouched by latin or norman or you know whatever and um it turns out that the corollary to her story of uh, her very cool story of her grammar, grandmother being one of the last native speakers is that the guy who did long john silver uh for the the disney film ages ago who also does the voices of the pirates on the pirates of the caribbean ride he was from a little town in, I can't remember if it was North Cornwall or Southern Wales, but he was in one of these places that had a very isolated language, and uh, he was one of the last native speakers of the one that he knew, and the accent that he uses, all the I-E-R, all that stuff, um, came from his hometown. And I was told by someone when I was working at the Renaissance Fair that, in fact, his version of English, which they also spoke in his village, was closer to Elizabethan English than modern British English is. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that at the Renaissance Fair, we were instructed, when in doubt, speak like a pirate. (laughs) Oh, and we just passed speak like a pirate day. I hope everybody had a good time speaking like a pirate and that you walked around saying, I matey and uh and having a good time of it and if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about there is actually a national international speak like a pirate day so I'll see if I can put a link to that on the the uh, blog I think I did last year as well um on the show notes there's some interesting crochet Don sent me a link to crochet art that is both fascinating and disturbing it's one of those things like watching a car accident you kind of can't take your eyes off of it I do have a link up to the Knitting Out Loud website, please make sure you visit. We have a new local yarn store that opened up here, and I'm reserving judgment. I'll let you know. Have any of you actually managed to buy a Wevet? I have a a link up to an eBay page so that you can see what I'm talking about. These things are going for a lot of money on eBay, and none of the stores seem to be carrying them. I contacted Carolina Handspun, and they had one in a very strange shape. Um, which I have pre-bought because I really just want to get my hands on one and see what the deal is with it. But they, whoever is manufacturing them is either dragging their heels or has way, way more orders than they're able to fill because everybody else seems to be out of them. Who knows? Don't forget, if you donate in the month of September, October, November, or December, you will be entered into a drawing for a Jen craft craftlet charm. I am so excited about this, and um, Cheeky Redhead, whose grandmother is one of the last native speakers of Cornish, also has donated to us, for a a, a giveaway, some sock yarn that she has made. I think spun and dyed. I didn't write that part down. Either way, it's like butter. So, donate in these last four months of the year, and you will be entered in these drawings, and um, I think that's it. I'm going to go take some Dayquil and try and get my sinuses back. Next week we will have the chapters The Ordeal by Iron, The Little Fairy Bell, and Isolt of the White Hands. Yes, you heard me. We have Isolt the Fair, and we have Isolt of the White Hands. There's another one out there. It gets sad. We're heading towards the sad stuff. And then we're going to head into Frankenstein, which is also the sad stuff. Maybe I'll do some happy poetry in between Tristan and Isolde and and Frankenstein. Maybe I should do some romantic poetry in between them. Mm. Little Lord Byron, anyone? Okay, if we're going to do any Lord Byron, though, we need to get another t-shirt. Because I have almost worn through my What Would Madame Defarge knit t-shirt. So if you have any ideas for good t-shirts, send them in because I think I need another Craftlit shirt. Thank you once again to Knitting Out Loud for sponsoring our program. Please make sure to support the companies and people who support Craftlit. I hope you have a great week. I hope you don't catch my cold. Talk to you soon. You can find a blog for this podcast at craftlit.blogspot.com or craftlit.libson.com That's Craftlit, C-R-A-F-T-L-I-T, all one word, and Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N. And of course, you can subscribe at iTunes. Craftlit is supported by the generous donations of its listeners, and for that, I am truly grateful. And do remember, if your hands are too busy to pick up a book, at least you can turn one on.